Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. For the month of February here at Valley Point, we have been talking and discussing the simple virtue of kindness. And while it is simple, it does seem that there is a general lack of kindness just about everywhere. And so what we've done here to combat that a little bit is I threw out a kindness challenge the first week of this series. And the kindness challenge basically says this, pick one person, one individual in your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your community, pick one person where you would like to see that relationship improve. And then over a 30-day period, take three intentional steps every single day with that person. And research has shown that if you take these three intentional steps every day over a 30-day period, that the relationship will improve, even if it only improves just a little bit. It will get better. Do you remember the three intentional steps that we're supposed to be taking? They're actually in your talk notes. So if you'll pull that out, let's review a little bit. Again, the kindness challenge, pick one person and over 30 days, take these three intentional steps every day. Number one, say nothing negative about your person, either to them or about them to someone else. Step number two, every day, find one kind thing that you can genuinely praise about your person and tell them. And then step number three, every day, do one small act of kindness for your person. Again, one person, 30 days, every single day taking these three intentional steps. Say nothing negative about the person. Every day, find one kind thing you can praise. And then every day, do one small act of kindness. Here's the question. How are you doing with the challenge? Are you having a little bit of success or are you finding it to be a little tough sticking with it over the long haul? Well, if you're like me, I feel I've had a few days that have been successful and then a few days that haven't been successful at all and you get a little discouraged and you get to the point where you want to give up, but I'm here today to say we're about halfway through the challenge. Let's stick with it and finish strong, okay? Maybe you're here for the very first time and you don't know anything about the kindness challenge, then I would consider you, even though we're about halfway through, it's okay for you to begin today. And there is a link provided on the talk notes that will take you to a place where you can join the kindness challenge and you can input your information and you'll receive a daily email that will give you a great suggestion on how to live out these three steps. And even though we're halfway through, I would encourage you, give that a shot. Maybe, and I've had these conversations as well as we have embarked on this challenge. A few of you have said, you know, I started this and the person that I chose, it's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna work. To which I say, that's okay. Maybe you need to pause that little challenge for a little bit and you can come back to that later. Choose someone else. And once again, embark on taking these three intentional steps every single day so that you can get to the end of this challenge and say, all right, this relationship is a little bit better. 
I want to remind everyone that we really are only focusing on one person, all right? There's one person we want to choose, one relationship we want to see grow. And as we walk through our time together, I want you to be thinking about this one person and how we can improve that relationship. We want to do for one, for one, what we wish we could do for everyone. And I think it's fair to say we should be kind to everybody, but our challenge here is let's focus on one person for 30 days. And guess what? The challenge will end and we can go back to being our grumpy selves. All right? That's going to happen. So again, one person, let's just dive into this and take these three steps. I hope you are seeing some good things happen. Here's a question. I want to get us thinking just a little bit today. So is it possible in our endeavor with this one person, this one relationship we want to improve, is it possible that we may be unkind and not realize it? Is that possible? I think sometimes we struggle with that because if I were to go around the room and ask individuals, would you say you are a kind person? I think most of us would say, yeah, on a good day, given normal circumstances, I am a kind person. There's always a few episodes here and there where I'm not, but by and large, yeah, I'm a kind person. I don't think we're going to find anybody who would say, you know, I'm a really nasty, mean, grumpy ugly person. That's just me. Nobody's going to really say that. So I think we have to consider this question, is it possible? Because again, there seems to be a general lack of kindness in the world. So somebody's not being kind, right? Is it possible that we may be unkind and not even recognize that we're doing it? Well, here's what I hope to accomplish today. I want to share a list of three items with you, three ways that I think we may be unkind and not realize it. I want to give this to you so that we can think about it and tuck these things away and begin to do the hard work of saying, let's overcome that. And then I want to dive into scripture because there is a great biblical example. And this is what I love about scripture. It's an ancient book, but yet it has so much to say about how we can live today. It really does. And so we're going to go back and look at an ancient king who asked a question, and the result of that question caused him to step into kindness. And so we're going to use that as our way of overcoming the ways that we are unkind and may not even realize it. Here's our big idea for today, and I would encourage you to fill in these blanks. Your best spiritual year, and this has been a theme for us so far, We want to have the best year of our lives. I believe that's possible if we pursue having the best spiritual year of our lives first. And so your best spiritual year, here it is. It involves identifying ways we may be unkind. And we'll talk through that in just a little bit. And then putting in the hard work of lifting up others. So again, I'm going to share a list with you of ways we're unkind. And then we'll dive into scripture. Does that make sense? Okay, let's talk about the list a little bit, the ways that we are potentially unkind and we may not even realize it. How about this one? And you should write these words down. Exasperation. 
when we are exasperated, we may be unkind without even realizing it. So exasperation looks like this. It's, it's the rolling of the eyes. Oh. Mm. It's the grunts, the nonverbal things we do that don't necessarily say anything out loud, but a lot of you are laughing at me because you know when we roll our eyes, when we grunt, when we mm, psh, all this stuff, it's not always very kind. That's exasperation. That's one of the ways we may be unkind and not even realize it. Now, sometimes exasperation is just straight funny, and we can roll with that, but often it's not. All right, that's one word. How about this one? Oh, boy. We're in a lot of trouble. To sarcasm, I say this. Boo. (laughs) Because sarcasm is just kind of fun, isn't it? And some people make it an art form, and they're really good at sarcasm. But here's the deal with sarcasm. When we engage in witty comebacks and semi-disparaging remarks and teasing, even if we think it is good-natured teasing, those witty comebacks, those semi-disparaging remarks, the good-natured teasing, here's what it does. It builds walls. And often those walls in relationships can be difficult to overcome. And often sarcasm is just not nice. I would say as parents, this is really difficult for us, isn't it? Because it's very easy to be sarcastic with our kids. It really is. I have three daughters. So that tells you right there, I probably have a vein of sarcasm somewhere running through my body. And one of my daughters, I won't mention her name, but I did get approval in order to share this story with you. And if you know this particular daughter of mine, you'll probably be able to guess this is exactly what she would do. But she's been coming to me recently and she'll say, Dad, my friends, my friends, my friends, my friends are at the mall, my friends, all of my friends, my friends are at the mall, I need to go to the mall. And my friends have the new iPhone and my iPhone It doesn't work like my friends, my friends, all my friends. My friends are at farm to you having breakfast. They're at terrain, my friends, my friends, all my friends. My friends. Yeah. My friends, my friends, this. And I look at her, I'm like, what's wrong with your friends? (laughs) Well, that response is very sarcastic and it doesn't actually work and it hasn't improved my relationship with her or with her friends yet. So (laughs) I'm kind of working on this. Sarcasm, often it's very unkind. And again, it builds walls. And I don't even think we realize this all of the time. So sarcasm. There's one final word I want to share with you that is a way we're unkind and we may not realize it, and that's catastrophizing. Catastrophize. The world is coming to an end. It's all gloom and doom. It's the end of the world as we know it. And there are people who love to live in that lane and everything is dramatic and the world is going to close tomorrow. And often that becomes a little unkind. Let me share some examples with you. If you leave the crock pot on, the whole house will burn down. The whole house. And there was just a famous episode on TV about this, so I don't know. Maybe it's true. 
Or how about this one? If we do that, the car will blow up. It's just going to blow up the whole car. Catastrophizing. Disaster, disaster, disaster. The sky is falling. I kind of live this one out like this. Whenever we have a car repair, say, hey, the you know, car's got a problem. We're going to have to take it into the shop. And we're probably going to have to sell our house, give away a few kids, and not eat for an entire month. <laughs> it's just what's happening, and it's going to be expensive. And so let's prepare, because it's the end of the world. I have a car repair. And I'll share that with Tanya, and she'll often say, you know, I really don't think it's going to be that bad. And it never is. And then I roll my eyes at her. (laughs) Because that's what you do, and I get rather sarcastic with her because, well, she's right on this, and the world is not coming to an end. I think I struggle with all of these. In the spirit of full disclosure, Sarcasm and catastrophizing and exasperation. I do this over and over and over again in my relationships, and it's not very kind. And my best guess is if you are anything like me, and I think you are, you probably struggle in a few of these areas as well. So the question is what do we do? Again, we want to think about this one person. This is our goal right now. Just trying to improve one relationship. And so with this one person that is rolling around in our mind right now, or we have been working on for about 15 days so far, how do we move away from exasperating them, being too sarcastic, and catastrophizing and bringing unkindness into our conversations and into these relationships without even realizing it? What do we do? What do we do with this one person? Well, this is where scripture has so much good news for us. And with your Bible or your device, I want you to find 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel is an Old Testament book. It's found right after 1 Samuel, and it's right before 1 Kings. These are all historical books. 2 Samuel in particular highlights for us the reign of, of King David. He was one of the great kings in Israel's history, and 2 Samuel gives us a lot of detail about his life and about his reign. The author of 2 Samuel is anonymous. We don't really know who it is, but Jewish tradition tells us it was probably compiled by Samuel, who was a prophet, as well as another prophet that may have been involved in the prophetic school at that particular time. 2 Samuel was probably written in approximately 900 BC, so it's an old book. These are old words, but I believe they're going to breathe life into our situation today. What we find in 2 Samuel chapter 9 is that David is comfortably ruling as king. Things are going well, and here's what David does. He asks a question, and that question initiates a response from him to someone else where he lifts them up in a very kind way. So let's dive into this. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 says, One day David, the king, asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants, 
Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them. That is a great Hebrew word right there, which means goodness or deeds of devotion. And so David is saying, is anyone from Saul's family still alive? Because I want to give to them God's goodness, God's deeds of devotion. I want to be kind to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. All right, a little context here. David is the second king of ancient Israel. Saul was the very first king. Saul wasn't considered to be a great king. He wasn't very kind, especially to David. He was very unkind to David. And Saul also had an obedience problem. He really didn't do what God wanted for him. And so he's not known as a great king. He was injured in battle one day, and he died as a result of those injuries. His son, Jonathan, was also killed in the same battle. Well, Jonathan was David's best friend. They had an amazing relationship, and you can read all about it in Scripture. It was a very loving, kind relationship. But there was a lot of tension involved there because Saul, Jonathan's father, hated David. And so they couldn't exactly spend as much time as what they probably wanted to together as a result of Saul's anger and Saul's unkindness. Well, at some point, David is thinking after he assumes the throne, my best friend Jonathan... Is there anyone in his family, Saul's family, his father, is there anyone still living because I want to show kindness to them on Jonathan's behalf? Now, it's interesting in the context of this because in the ancient Near East, transitions of leadership were not peaceful at all. We walk through transitions of leadership all of the time as a country, and those transitions are very peaceful, and I think we take that for granted. In the ancient Near East, they were not peaceful at all. When one king died or when he was removed from the throne, it wasn't uncommon for a couple of things to take place when the new king was put in place with a different bloodline. One of the best things that could happen is that family, the former family, would be driven from the land. Uh, You can't be here anymore you don't belong, you have to go away from here. That's the best thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen, and often what would take place, is that family and their entire bloodline would be killed because the new king would not want a threat to his future throne. He wouldn't want anyone else from the former family hanging around in hopes of getting the throne back. And so often that bloodline was just destroyed. And that was common. That's just what happened. David, though, he's thinking in a different kind of way. Like, I don't think that's what should happen. God's goodness and God's deeds of devotion should be extended to this family, even though I had some problems with them on behalf of my best friend, Jonathan. I think I've got to extend some kindness. So David, he's thinking in a different way here. Verse 4. David asks, where is he? Where is he? Where's this son? In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. 
So David sent for him and brought him from Mekir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid. And when you understand the context, we get why David would say that. Mephibosheth probably believes he's marching towards his death. And so David kind of calms all of that down by saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. What you think may be happening, actually something different is going to take place because I intend to show kindness. There's the word, same word used in verse three, goodness, deeds of devotion. I intend to show that to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And that language is very strong. Mephibosheth is basically saying, I am contemptible. I am useless to you. I'm a dead dog. Not a very nice thing to say about yourself, but that's what he says. I think he's just shocked and overwhelmed. Verse nine, then the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, come here. And he said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So I think he's going to be able to accomplish this. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. From 2 Samuel chapter 9, from the text here, I want to pull three thinking points that I believe will help us with our one person step back into the kindness challenge and end this with some success. So here we go. Thinking point number one, kindness does not stultify. It doesn't do that. Kindness does not stultify, meaning it's not something that makes us appear foolish or ridiculous or weak. I think sometimes our best sense is that if I am kind to somebody, it perhaps will make me come across as weak. And when you walk through the corpus of scripture, one of the things that we find over and over again is that extensions of kindness actually reveal a deep inner strength, not a weakness, but a strength. Kindness does not stultify, doesn't make us appear foolish or weak. It actually makes us appear like we have great, deep, and abiding inner strength. If you find someone who's just insatiably kind, 
No, that person has great inner strength. I am sure in the process of walking through this, when David began to talk to his advisors and share, hey, we got to find somebody, anybody still alive from Saul's family, because I want to show goodness to them on behalf of Jonathan, my best friend. I want to do that. I am sure that there were some advisors who got next to David and say, David, time out for just a second. Like, come here. We got to have a little sidebar. What you are proposing, well, that's just not the way life works. You don't have to be kind to them. That potentially could bring about a problem in the future and you don't want that. It will make you appear weak because that's not the way things are done. And David just said, forget about it. I've made a commitment. I made a commitment to my best friend, Jonathan. I'm gonna live that out by extending goodness and kindness. And what we learn from the text is kindness does not stultify. Secondly, kindness removes fear. And I believe this is one of the great things that we observe and we learn from the text. Mephibosheth certainly approaching this with a tremendous amount of fear. My life is probably going to be taken from me. And instead, David initiates kindness to his one person and fear instantly gone, instantly gone. Kindness removes fear. And so you just think about the relationship that you're trying to improve right now. Is there any level of fear that may exist there? If that's the case, kindness will remove that in time. Thirdly, kindness restores. It restores. And Mephibosheth, in the process of David working with him, is restored to honor once again, eating at the king's table. His land, his grandfather's land is given to him and it's taken care of by somebody else. Honor is brought back into the relationship. So kindness does not stultify, kindness removes fear, and kindness restores. Now let's just think about these words for a moment. Let's go back to our easel. Exasperation. Well, that doesn't restore anything. And it doesn't remove fear. And I believe it's a sign of weakness, not a sign of inner strength. What about sarcasm? I know we love this. We love it and it feels good sometimes. But it doesn't restore people to honor, by and large. It doesn't remove fear. And it very well could be a sign of inner weakness, not strength. What about catastrophizing? I think you get where this is going. It's all gloom and doom. The world is coming to an end. And by the way, some of those things may be true. A does equal B. And if you do this, here's the result. But sometimes in the process of fixing all of that, we can be very unkind and catastrophize. And it does not restore. It doesn't bring honor. It doesn't remove fear. If anything, it really adds fear to the equation. And it's not a sign of inner strength. And so with our one person, with our one person, let's begin to act 
like David and realize there is great inner strength when I extend the kindness and it will improve relationships. I've got one takeaway. I've got to answer the key question. What could your kindness do this week to lift up someone? That one person, whoever it is, whatever relationship you're trying to improve over this 30-day period, what can you do to lift up that individual? And I want you to think throughout the week about David and Mephibosheth. His inner strength came out as he sought to remove fear and to bring honor to someone who had been living with dishonor. And here's how we do that, just to review. You've got your person, say nothing negative about them, to them or to anybody else. Every day, find one kind thing that you can genuinely praise about that person and tell them. And every day, do one small act of kindness for your person. If we did this, even if we don't have the results we may like, I believe our relationships will improve. They will deepen and we'll be lifting up people. And imagine, imagine a group this size actually stepping into that. I think a lot of things would change and God would be very happy. Back to the big idea. Your best spiritual year involves identifying ways we may be unkind. And we've done that, and there's probably more things we can add to that list. You know your issues, I know mine. Let's keep identifying ways we may be unkind, and then let's put in the hard work. Because, quite honestly, it is hard work, isn't it? Maybe as you thought about the challenge a few weeks ago, I was like, well, that's not a big deal. That will be easy. Well, it's not easy at all, even if the person is cooperating with you. Funny story, the person I'm working with that I chose they actually come to me every day now and say, what's the kind thing you're going to do for me? <laughs> and the eyes roll and you know, whatever. I think you're kind of taking advantage of this and taking advantage of me. But I will tell you, we're having a great time. And again, corporately, if we did this, a lot can change. So let's keep identifying the ways we may be unkind and not know it. And then let's do the hard work. It is hard. Let's acknowledge that. Let's do the hard work of lifting up our person. Father, we're thankful for 2 Samuel chapter 9, for the recording of what David did and, and how he acted. He didn't need to do that. Certainly, Mephibosheth's grandfather was very unkind to David, threatened his life, tried to kill him several times. Yet somehow, David dug deep and realize that extending kindness does not make me weak. It's a sign of great inner strength. And so help us to look to this example throughout the week as we finish our kindness challenge, or maybe begin it again, whatever that looks like for us. Help us to keep in mind. Let's identify the ways we may be unkind and not know it. Maybe we need to talk to our person and ask them to share it with us as well. Let's have those conversations and then God help us all to do the hard work, the hard, hard work of lifting up that person, bringing honor to them and removing fear. Give us strength and courage as we do that this week, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.